Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Hey listener, welcome back to another episode of the Build with Clay podcast. Carson Masterson from episode five rejoins the Build with Clay podcast in this all things crypto episode. In that episode five, Build with Carson, the last 20 minutes was dedicated to explaining NFTs and crypto, and there was a lot of feedback from the listeners for us to expand the discussion. And that's what this episode is all about. No matter where you are in your crypto journey, We work to simplify and define a lot of the terms and buzzwords that we hear all the time in this ever-changing ecosystem. The conversation is wide-ranging, and we balance between going deep and bringing things back to simplicity and real-life use cases of the technology. Hope you enjoy. Carson, we're bringing you back on because in our first podcast, Build with Carson, uh, which is number five, episode number five for those that want to check it out, the last 20 minutes or so, we discussed a lot about NFTs. You're in this space. You continue to be in this space more and more every day. And there was a lot of feedback based on what you talked about uh, to continue the conversation, which is hilarious because the way that you talked about NFTs was you basically compared NFTs to you being drunk. Yep. So for those that want to actually see what that means, feel free go to listen. Um, yeah, exactly. But Carson did a nice job with the comparison. So a lot of feedback to talk about crypto. And you and I are in love with this space. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of crazy. There's some bad. And I I think the people may want to hear. And that's the feedback that I've gotten. So in order to kind of set the foundation of this conversation, since you and I have been around this space for a number of years, um, and we're not the top experts by any stretch of the imagination, but we've been around it, explored enough about it, have invested in it to be a little dangerous. So to set the foundation for those that may not have the same level of knowledge, I want to define some common terms that we hear in this crypto world. So first, let's just define crypto or cryptocurrency. So Carson, I'm going to kind of throw some terms at you. You give your definition. I'll come in with you know my my two cents, and then we'll just we'll go through that, mm-hmm. and then uh, we can get into maybe some specifics. Uh, about the the state of where things are with crypto, but let's start with the basics. So, crypto, cryptocurrency. How would you define it? Yeah. So before I define it, so one thing that I'll just state, and this is kind of something we talked about on our first conversation, is is definitions, and and how definitions is really critical for communication, people's understanding. One of the biggest things that even even people that are the ones that are building the ethereum chain like the founder of ethereum or a lot of the um you know leaders in the space or if you're at nft nyc which was one of the bigger conferences that happened here in new york is the the common thread is the language and the terms in which people are using within this space are really confusing 
And sometimes people have different definitions of it because it is so decentralized in a way. The way I kind of think about it is it's a lot of internal like slang or um, inside jokes. So sometimes if you're a part of a group or if you join a group of friends or family, they have all these inside jokes that you're not aware of. So that's kind of just as a whole something to just be aware of and why there's such kind of a you either get it or you don't mindset with it right now. So that's just a, a caveat to say. So, um, you know, where I try to get my information is, is either podcasts, um, listening to people that are leaders in the space, Googling, reading Reddit threads, things like that, just to make sure that I'm kind of trying to get a holistic understanding of how people are communicating. So that's just like, don't take everything I say as a de facto definition. It's just as my understanding of this entire space, this is my perception. So just, I'll start with that. That makes sense? It does. This space is evolving rapidly. Yeah. And, I, and yes, we talked extensively about terms. And so I love how you started that here. And that's why we want to try and set this foundation because we recognize everyone's in a different state. We may not have the perfect definitions, but we're going to try and simplify it as best as possible before getting into a little bit more meat um, about the space and you know how some real life applications. So let's jump in on uh, the so, main yes, the crypto, main umbrella cryptocurrency. So I have a definition, but let's just read the Investopedia definition real quick. So what is a cryptocurrency? A cryptocurrency is a digital or virtual currency that is secured by cryptography, which means it's nearly impossible to counterfeit or double spend. So. I read that. That's kind of technical, I guess. The way I say cryptocurrency is it's just our, as human beings, assigning value to a digital asset, which is rooted in blockchain technology. That's kind of how, like how I view it. It's just a digital assignment of value that can be yeah, traced yep. and tracked. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. So you mentioned blockchain. You talk about being traced or tracked and a lot of that is within the blockchain or the ledger so let's define blockchain okay so blockchain and ledger so ledger if you google it i i don't know the root of how ledger became to be but the second definition of a ledger is a flat stone so if i'm just deducing based on that definition i would assume the word ledger came from you know, whatever BC when people started chiseling information into a flat stone. So I would assume that that's where that word came from. So ledger is really critical to understanding blockchain because blockchain, it's just a distributed ledger. It, if I can jump in, Carson. So the one of the best definitions I heard about a ledger and this blockchain is that imagine that you and I are standing in an auditorium and there's a thousand people in each in the auditorium. Yeah. And I walk up to the microphone and I say, I, Clay Davis, am going to give Carson Masterson 0.2 Bitcoin. And all 1,000 people in that auditorium each have their own ledger, their own notepad. And they are all 1,000 of them are writing that this transaction is occurring. Mm -hmm. And so, in order for the transaction to be reversed or to be counterfeited or to be changed, someone would have to take basically all 1,000 of those notebooks and change all of them. And so that's basically what the blockchain is doing on a digital front, 
right, within digital ecosystem, it is writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting transactions that are happening so that they cannot be undone. One slight change to your to your analogy. It's not everyone has their own. It is one. Fair point. So so but so here's the difference. So where where's a common use of this, right? So the the difference between I think that a, a distributed ledger from a today's standpoint, like for example, I had a couple notes that I'm going through right now. Um, and I stored that in my Google Drive, right? So I shared that with you. So you, Clay, can go look at the notes. We're both on it right now, right? So in a way, that's a similar concept to what you were talking about, where it's everyone in the auditorium sees what the notes are. Now, here's the difference. Unlike a database that's controlled by Google or a small company or an individual, like if I go to an auditorium, I can take my notes on my notepad or my computer, right? I control that. No one else can really have access to that unless I give them access and I can control basically how they access it. The difference between that concept of a ledger versus a blockchain concept of a ledger is it's, it's controlled by the dispersed community or the dispersed code base. And it's, and it's dispersed across multiple computers that could be all over the world. So when a transaction happens, yeah, the transaction gets written on the blockchain across all these distributed computers across the world. Correct. So if a hacker or someone who has ill intent wants to try and do something about it, they would have to go to fi- go and find all of the computers where this blockchain resides and change it, which is virtually impossible, which is which is a big piece of value for blockchain technology. Once data is added, so once a transaction or something happens, so if you like for example like if I post a photo to Instagram, right? And, and maybe it's a bad photo or maybe it's like, oh, I actually don't want this on my Instagram profile. I can delete it. And how that happens today is I would delete it and it might be stored. What does Instagram use? They might use AWS, right? So as their, as their database. So I could delete it. And theoretically, that is, quote, deleted from that database. And it's, you know, it's still technically there until it's overwritten, you know, from an AWS standpoint but it could be removed from the internet theoretically if no one has screenshotted or copied it in a blockchain that's not possible if i add something it cannot be removed so if i post a transaction to my to the ledger or if i post a photo to the ledger it cannot be removed which makes it important from a trust standpoint is to trust that no matter what transactions are happening they're always stored. You can always go back to look at them. There's yeah, always, yeah, it's it's not something that, again, like you said, someone could be doing something that's ill-advised or with ill intent and hide it. Exactly. Yeah. It's the beauty of like the trust, not only from that standpoint, but in the fact that it is distributed in the sense of I could have, you know, I could have a store of, um, all my financial transactions, like I have that, right? So on my 
American Express account. Like I have a ledger, if you will, of all my transactions. And I can say, it's like, oh, well, this is me tracking everything that I've done financially. You can trust me on this. That's still my ledger. But I can, I don't know exactly how I would remove a, a, a transaction from my American Express account. Maybe I could, you know, you know, fake it, but it's still mine. But the beauty of blockchain is like, not only can things not be removed, but it's also not any individuals. It's everybody's. Like that blockchain. Yep. Everyone can see every transaction. Now they're all anonymous because they are you know, rooted in a long string of numbers and letters that each person has as their code. So you would have to know Carson's username, quote unquote, to, un- to, to go and search their own, you know, what his transaction was. But, you know, so it's not like it's just out there and it says Carson Masterson is, you know, buying nukes off of the uh, black market or something. Exactly. And I have, and I have my password and my key to my specific, I guess, entrance point to the blockchain. So this is actually, so this actually moves into an interesting thing because it's not like everyone can see everything of yours or access everything of yours. They might be able to see a transaction that happens on a particular blockchain, but if I have a uh, a wallet, right? So one of the things that you mentioned uh, that you wanted to cover is a wallet, right? So a wallet is basically think about this. So web two two web three This is like common buzzwords that you can you know you hear about, right? With this space. So just a quick analogy is like web web one was basically you could read things on the internet, and it was where pages were really static. There was no JavaScript. It was just like here is like words on a page. That's it. It's not interactive. Web two was where all these companies like Google, um, you know, all the apps came on Instagram, this, that, that, what, that's where you could write. So web 2.0 was all about like, I can now write on, um, yeah, like you you can, you're on Facebook and you want to post something. Yeah. It's interactive. I can post, I can write to it. Web three is all about ownership. So the difference between Web3 and Web2, Web2 is basically like you think about you log into Zencaster, for example. Uh, this is what we're recording on. You log into your Facebook profile. You log into your American Express banking account, right? All of those usernames and passwords are not yours because they're stored with these companies where it's like Google knows your, your name and password and knows all of your information. Zencaster has all of your audio recordings because they have your name and password. American Express knows everything about me because they have my name and password. So they own my name and password. They hold my keys to access their services. So where a wallet comes into place, now you could say, you know, different wallets, there's different wallet, quote, companies, but they don't own your password or your specific key. So I have a single key that now I can access any of these services. So the difference between web and t- web two and web three is I then hold the single key to access and um, you know store my own information. So then I can use my single key to log into any web three designed tool. So for example, let's say something like you know Zencaster or Instagram was developed today. It's it's no longer Instagram owns or controls my information. I have a specific 
crypto or or uh, digital key that is mine that I can then unlock specific things about that service. And it's all right, same- Carson. Let's pause. Let's pause. Okay. I want to see if I can sum up what we talked about so far. Yeah. For the common man like myself. Yes. So we've got cryptocurrency, which is this umbrella of everything we're going to talk about. You may have heard of Bitcoin or Ethereum or NFTs or DeFi, and we're going to talk about some of these things. But cryptocurrency is the umbrella of all these things. And as Carson said earlier, it's basically a digital store of value. And it is a digital store of value because that store happens on the blockchain. So that is the technology of the general technology of cryptocurrency is blockchain, which is basically a digital ledger. And that digital ledger is written on when a transaction happens. It is written multiple times. We're talking about thousands and thousands of times across computers across the world. So these transactions are could be, you know, Carson and Clay exchanging Bitcoin, Carson and Clay exchanging an NFT or anything of the like. And so all of this stuff is happening. And then what Carson was just getting into around a wallet is a personal place to store your key or to store your quote unquote crypto username and password so that you have a personal access to this blockchain and to be able to um, send and receive and exchange things on this blockchain around anything within cryptocurrency. Yes. Cut. All right. So <laughs> we'll see how that summation goes over, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and one thing to note too. So this is also, so this is also like a very, um, it's a new world, right? So it's, it, you can kind of think about it. Have you ever seen the, the Katie Couric, uh, Katie Couric? Is that how you pronounce her name? Anyway, there's a video you can Google on YouTube. Just type in her name and uh, internet. And it's funny. And it's her. And then I don't remember the gentleman's name, the guy that does the weather on like Good Morning America. And they're, it's, the, it's three people. And they're all, they're all kind of asking the questions like, what is internet? And then they, they're questioning, what is this at symbol? Or what is this pound sign? Like, I don't understand what this is. And so that was the early days of the internet, right? Where the common person doesn't understand what all of these technical terms are. Um, and the reason why they don't understand these technical terms is because we're still building the infrastructure. So if you think about an app today on your phone, I guarantee you, 95% of people listening to this podcast don't understand, you know, how even the, you know, the app icon is displayed on their screen of their phone. And, and, you know, the beauty of user experience and, you know, collections of shared knowledge is most, you don't have to know a hundred percent of everything that you do, um, or all of the details of what you do. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is things like wallet, things like cryptocurrency, things like, um, you know, all of this. It's like this is a this is the early stages of it. So it's difficult to try to learn every component of everything that's happening. And even experts say this. So like I was listening to Bankless, which is a really great crypto podcast. So we were talking about where people could go learn. Bankless is like my favorite 
podcasts to listen to specifically about crypto. Um, they they they're big Ethereum fans. But anyway, they had um, they had the co-founder of Reddit on there uh, like two weeks ago, and he was saying he's like even he who is a an early adopter of all this crypto currencies like there's even stuff that he is like really annoyed by that he has to deal with today because the user experience has not improved so you know understanding these terms is really important to to understanding how things work um but it will get to the point where you don't even know what an nft is it's kind of like you kind of just know what a what a website is without even having to define you know, the logistics of how like a website actually is populated on your screen. Right. You don't know, you don't have to know how to design a website to be able to exactly. use a website. Yeah. So that's just something to note too. Yeah. It's a, it's a great call out. And there has been a lot of comparison to early internet to early crypto. You know, there's yeah, exactly. just a lot of innovation. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of, you know, people on one side of the fence and people on the other side of the fence, which I know we'll get into, you know, people saying the internet's going to change the world and others saying what, you know, what is this silly thing? It's the same thing with crypto, you know, crypto is going to change the world. And then you got people on the other side saying, you know, what is this thing? This, you know, this is black market voodoo. So um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that too, but just to continue defining a couple things that we, that you and I may reference in the coming discussion is we hear a lot about decentralization yes. in this space. And it's one of, one of the main tenets, one of the main pieces of value of crypto. So Carson, how would you define decentralization? So <clears throat> I this is something that um, kind of, again, I'll reference back because I, I don't mean to always repeat back of it. It really depends on what you're defining and how you're communicating it. Um, Cause that's just like a cop out of like not accepting a definition or uh, an argument for anything. I'm not saying that, but in terms of decentralization, it, it does matter what you're talking about in terms of, you know, everything that's happening. So to say you're a proponent of decentralization as a general statement in this crypto space, in my opinion, is the cop out for not understanding what you're actually talking about. And the reason why I say that is because decentralization could at its at its foundational level with crypto is what we just talked about with blockchain right so it's distributed ledger meaning there's not a centralized store of power or control of this dispersed ledger so that's the decent that's what we mean by decentralization within cryptocurrency like the actual technology but there's there's several different things that are 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 in this world of cryptocurrency or crypto the crypto ecosystem if you will so there's there's like there's crypto property there's cryptocurrency there's crypto platforms there's crypto securities there's crypto art and that's kind of like nfts so there's crypto digital assets um there's crypto communities such as a dao like a decentralized um what does it stand for? Decentralized Autonomous Organization, I think is what it is, a DAO. Um, so there's various aspects of the crypto ecosystem that you do have to understand what you're talking about before you say decentralization. And so that's basically the, the statement I would make about decentralization. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's basically it means it's not owned by a central entity. So a bank, as an example, is a central entity. You walk into the bank, they own the vault, they own the money flow, they own the investments, they you know, they pay the people. They are the central entity that owns that, you know, ecosystem of money in and out of the bank. Or Federal Reserve is another great example of centralization. And there's a lot of great tenets as to why centralization is is good and can work exactly and can be helpful. Um, so your point is well taken that just broad decentralization and you know, hey, we need everything to be decentralized. It's like, well, there's there's pros and cons to to everything, right? And yeah, so exactly. Um, but yes, you'll hear de- decentralization as a main tenant, a main piece of value of crypto. And it's, you know, one of the great examples as that people like to give around why it's great is you're, you know, you and I are lucky to live in the United States where say what you will, but we're in a great spot from a monetary standpoint. Look, there's challenges, there can be inflation, there's all sorts of things, but it is nowhere near the same challenge that some other countries developing countries especially deal with, with Mm -hmm. their governments and how, you know, I look at Zimbabwe, you know, years ago where they printed what, like millions, if not billions of dollars, because they thought that that was the way to, to help them from a monetary standpoint and to become more fiscally sound is just, we just need more money. Great. We'll print all of it. Well, what happens when you print more money? The, the, the supply increases, the demand decreases and the value of the money goes down. Well, this centralized entity of the Zimbabwe government basically made their currency as valuable as toilet paper. And so the beauty, what people point to is the beauty of cryptocurrency in that specific example is if a Zimbabwean happened to own a Bitcoin, right? And they had their own username, they had their own, you know, kind of password to the blockchain they could, they weren't affected basically by that decision by a centralized entity and they could walk across the border or fly to the U S or fly to Canada or fly to Australia, whatever, and still have that Bitcoin with them. And it's the same value in Australia as it is in Canada. And, and, or you look at like, you know, Syria as an example and all the refugees Right, they could walk across the border with the passcode in their mind. They could be stripped of all of their actual tangible possessions, walk across the border with that Ethereum or or Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency password in their mind, walk across that border and still have that value, even though their tangible possessions have been repossessed. Um, so there, there's a, of course, a ton of use cases, but. Yes. Sharing that as a, that's the proponent of decentralization is because you have centralized entities that do, you know, make poor decisions that affect humans. So, so yes. So on that, so here's, here's, here's where I go back to my definition. So I w- I'm writing notes down here. So again, so decentralization at its core for cryptocurrency, the technology is, is kind of that theme that we talked about. Now, splitting the hairs there, there's two things that you talked about in terms of decentralization. Decentralization of currency, i.e. value, a value store, versus decentralization of an organization of humans, like making decisions, right? So there's a difference between the two. And there's examples in the world today for both. So 
currency, right? So as we just talked about, currency is a store value, right? So um, Bitcoin's the popular one or the most popular. There's a difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so Ethereum is another big popular one that you will find. So there's a difference between a de- the decentralization of both of those. So Bitcoin is a property. A property meaning you can't, you, it, it's just, it is. There's no changing it. And so like the code base that was started, I can't remember when Bitcoin started. I think Satoshi uh, started it like in 2009. 2009. Okay, so there's 21 million Bitcoins, period. There's no more ever. That is, that is what it is. It is unchangeable. And the reason why it's unchangeable is because it's the same, like when Bitcoin came out and it was change, trading for pennies, um, where like you could, you could basically uh, Google Bitcoin pizza I think it was two Papa John's pizzas was the first transaction of Bitcoins or the first exchange of Bitcoins and it, when it was changing for pennies. So it is the same code and protocol then as it is today. It is unchanged and it is unchangeable. Um, and it's dominant crypto property. That cryptocurrency is different than Ethereum. Ethereum is a crypto platform. And the reason why it is so popular is because people can build stuff on top of it. And that's why you see a lot of NFTs being built on top of a Ethereum blockchain because you, it, it enables people to create code and, and, and um, automation within decision-making. And that is what a lot of people are saying is decentralization. Hey, Carson, um, yes. can, I, can I pause you? Yes. Is that, you just made a really interesting point. I want you to... You said that Ethereum has a different blockchain. We haven't talked about different blockchains. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, how do you even say that? So I th- it's basically like it's a different ledger. So it's the same type of technology, it's just a different ledger. Correct. So yeah. Bit- Bitcoin has its own ledger, Ethereum has its own ledger. Both of them are leveraging blockchain. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. You may continue. Yeah, yeah perfect, perfect. Um, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and so there, there's, I mean, there's a lot that you could talk about with Ethereum and, and how it's different than Bitcoin. I think that's the key difference there is Bitcoin is a property and Ethereum is a platform, which means people build things on it. And that's where it gets tricky when you're talking about decentralization and what you're talking about. And so, like, for example, like you, you were mentioning a government made a decision, right? So the decentralization of currency, there is a decentralization of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum currency and value versus like a government or a, a nation's currency for exactly what, the reason what you said of like the, the, the representation of power is different than in a Zimbabwe, I don't know what their currency is, versus a UK pound versus the euro versus the united states government's dollar right those are all the stores those are all the centralizations of power that have you know defined a currency and make decisions off of those currencies such as the fed printing whatever five trillion dollars they did over the last you know two years right so then you run into problems like inflation where like a centralized government is making decisions for everyone that holds that value that changes the the perceived value 
or or supply of that particular currency, right? So that's why I separated the decentralization of currency versus organization. So although you know Ethereum is a you know a decentralized currency, like you said, that has no you know country borders, that doesn't mean that it is a completely immune to human decisions. That's why it's a platform versus a property. And the reason why you have to separate those two is something like the SEC, which is a securities you know, organization that monitors security trade and, and transaction, is like a security is basically like a store of value that some organization or people can influence. So Ethereum is a, is a SEC-defined security because people build things on top of it. So although that they are, you know, inc- although they are assigning um, code to basically automate a lot of the decision-making, and that's why people are saying, it's like, oh, you can have something like a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, which we can get into, it, it automates a lot of things. But there is still people that are coding that. So it's it, like, that's why I say the branding of it is really interesting because you hear like Ethereum, the, the Ethereum founder Vitalik basically saying how, you know, it removes human decision-making from the entire organization or from the entire community. I just laugh at that because I'm like, dude, you're coding it, meaning you make the decisions of what is automated throughout the entire, you know, uh, code base. And then on top of that, when you have these organizations, you're not necessarily, it's not that you're completely decentralizing power. It's kind of like making power more evenly accessible or distributed. So you'll you'll have um, decentralization conversations about something like a DAO or you see all these projects coming out where it's like, you know, join the community. But if you have more of a particular coin or NFT, you theoretically have more power than someone who has less than you. So the centralization of power within that decentralized organization is still there. Does that make any sense? I'm realizing that I'm trying to talk through a couple of concepts at the same time. So I want to make sure that I'm making sense. Yeah, and I'll do my best to to bring it back. So there's a crypto there's crypto property, like you said, an example of that is Bitcoin, which I would assume most people have heard of. And it's a property because it cannot be changed. Nothing no one's building on top of Bitcoin. It is here's a fixed amount of Bitcoin that people will mine, we'll, we can get into mining, and it's a fixed supply. And then demand will uh, demand of Bitcoin will be will drive the price of Bitcoin, which I think today, March thirty first of twenty twenty two, it's around forty seven thousand dollars per Bitcoin. Yeah, and most people equate Bitcoin to gold. It's digital gold. People go and mine gold. They went and they try and find gold and unearth gold literally from the earth, and that's what people are doing in mining. They are trying to discover more Bitcoin up until it reaches that 21 million of Bitcoin. You can trade Bitcoin just like you can trade gold. You can store it just like you can store gold. And that that is all run on a 
specific blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like Ethereum, which like you articulated is a platform. Ethereum is a coin. You can technically buy things with Ethereum. With and it, I think today it's around thirty four hundred dollars uh, U.S. dollars is is uh, how much one Ethereum is. But the technology allows for people to build on it, like you said, NFTs, which are you know can be a lot of things, but NFTs are typically built on Ethereum. So you can't build on top of blockchain. Uh, on, excuse me, on top of Bitcoin, but you can platform, meaning that it's in kind of an open platform. People can take the technology, build on it, leverage it. And, um, you know, NFTs is one thing that comes out of that. But decentralization was your central theme around that. And you're right to separate it amongst, you know, people making decisions. um, And then the actual decentralization of the currency itself. Yeah, because that does have a huge factor to it. And like, as an example, so uh, at NFT NYC, it was actually hilarious because there was all these different parties around New York City. And, and some of them you had to have like, a, you know, a particular NFT of a, of a project. So like the biggest, the biggest two or three um, NFT projects are the Bored Apes and uh, CryptoPunks. So you can and let's define, let's define NFT. Yeah, so an NFT is non-fungible token, which is a terrible acronym, and I think we talked about that in the first one. I, I, I hate acronyms because I think they're dumb. Just first off, like it saves half a second. Just say the full thing because, again, it's like kind of slang or inside jokes most of the time. So NFTs, um, it's basically just a way to claim ownership to a particular digital asset. And because it's on blockchain, like we talked about, the information and transactions on that blockchain are visible and non-removable. So that's basically how I would say it. Um, and it's the, the kind of the way that you can kind of think in terms of practical use. Like, let's just say, let's just say you and I go to a coffee shop and we buy coffees, right? So we buy the same cup of coffee. You and I are sitting across from the table. The cups of coffee are seemingly identical. But I know which coffee is mine. And you know which coffee is yours. Because it's, it's sitting next to me versus sitting next to you. That's like physical information that we're downloading in real time. In the sense of, like, I can visibly see physically in three dimensions which coffee belongs to me versus you the challenge with like digital is it's much it was basically impossible to do that before where i could post a photo and people always say this is like why would i spend ten thousand dollars on a jpeg or why would i you know i can just screenshot it boom it's mine like i have it now it's kind of like that where it's like it was really di- it was impossible in web 2 to basically define like this is mine and that's why you had a lot of problems with like you know fake accounts on instagram where it's like someone just took all your photos and you know published their own profile with all of your photos you you see that a lot you see people posting screenshots of saying hey this is a fake account please report this is a fake account please report because it was 
you know, you can't really say is like, oh, well, I just posted something and now there's a bunch of million screenshots out there in the world. How do you, how do you claim ownership to that? With an NFT, it's like, it is literal proof. Like, hey, this is the original. This is the original timestamp. This is the original creator. Here is my, you know, releasing this piece of work to the world. Um, so that's, that's and, fun. And all of that, just to tie it back, yeah. all of that is captured on the blockchain. Yeah, something like an it Ethereum is, it blockchain. Is, that it, is, yeah, that it's is in the ledger. Yeah, it's in the ledger, which makes it, you talked about proof. There's a lot of, that word is used a lot in crypto is proof. And that proof is held in the blockchain or the ledger. Yeah. So, so that, that is the technology that is the, the capabilities of what an NFT is. Now that answers the question of like, how do I, how does an NFT actually function? Right. Where I have ownership of it. Now people that, like that is a different question than why would I spend this amount of money on a digital asset? That is a different thing. That's a different question. So the way I think about it, there's a couple, couple different things. The, the, the current application of NFTs is, is, uh, is art, right? So it's the biggest thing right now. And it's also, it makes sense. Um, I use this analogy, and I don't, I don't think we talked about this in the last one. If I'm an artist and I'm, or a photographer, well, I'm, I, am, I am a photographer. So the current Web2 example of my photography is I post that to Instagram and I get likes. For me, there's, there's some value in getting likes and some value in getting followers, but there's no actual monetary value to that. Instagram owns it, and Instagram makes the money via advertising. So the, 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 the monetary business model of Instagram is to basically get as many people to spend as, many, as much time as possible to see as many advertisements as possible on their platform. So when I upload my photography, I am relinquishing essentially ownership of whatever value is perceived from that photo. So people, the currency in which people pay me as an individual artist is through a like or a comment or a follow. There's no actual monetary currency value as a society that we assign to that other outside of, you know, influencers. That's why influencers became a thing is because we developed this new form of currency or value that had more social value than it did actual monetary value. But that influencer, the payment to an influencer still goes through a third party, a trusted third party in Instagram in this example. Sort of. Yes, yes, and. Yes, and. But the, the, the difference between an influencer and uh, you know that value exchange is... Instagram owns their content in the way in which they make money. There have been of recent years, you know, sharing of advertising dollars and things like that. But at the end of the day, Instagram is making more money than an influencer or the content creators. Because if you think about it, it's like Uber, where Uber is a multi, multi-billion dollar company and they don't, own, they don't own a single car, but they're making all the money from that creator or that, that service how influencers make most of their money is through like sponsorship or sponsored ads. And you might see like your favorite artists, music videos and their music videos of the last like 20 years is like, you can't watch a music video today without seeing like a beats headphone on it. And the reason is they're not making money from the video per se. They're making money from an advertisement 
betting that that video is going to get a lot of views. Do you see the difference? Yeah. And I guess where my mind is going is around trusted third parties, because one of the, another central tenet of crypto is smart contracts, yeah, which removes a trusted third party. And it, we've kind of been talking around it, but it, that's just where my mind went. But I don't want to stray you away from. No, no, no. So, yeah. So let me just, let me just circle back for this real quick. So like, instead of saying as a photographer, right. So like I, at the moment, like my, my photography is not selling for, you know, $10,000 a piece. Right. But let's just say, Clay, you follow me on Instagram. So let's just say as an NFT, if I was posting my photography instead to, instead to a web three style, you know, NFT based platform, Instead Which again, of me, you're 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 saying that Instagram is Web two because Instagram owns all this. You can post to it. You as a user can post, but Instagram owns all of the things. You're saying in a right. Web three context that you, the creator, not only can post and write to the internet, but you also own said things that you post. Correct. And the way in which I own it is being able to get value from the thing that I post, and for like a, a financial like you know, dollar value. Um, and the way in which I would do that. So instead of you as like, you know, someone who follows me or, you know, a fan of what I do, instead of you giving me a like and viewing a, a third party's advertisement of a beats pill and, and giving me value that way. If you like a photo, you, instead of giving me a like, you could just give me $5 and say, this is now my photo. So you could take ownership of that photo. All right, let me let me pause you there. So yeah. perfect. Again, I'm trying to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. No, to, no, no. Uh, and I, I'm, and to, I'm trying to be. I guess I'm trying to be as ex, like simple as possible, but I I might realize I'm not. So this is good. No, no, no. It's all good. So to tie that back, so in that transaction, you're saying, I'm I'm saying, ooh, that picture Carson took, that thing's sweet. I want I want to buy that. Carson, I'm going to offer you 0.02 Ethereum for that. And at the time that I send you that, you then get 0.02 Ethereum in your wallet and I get the rights to that photo. So you, Carson, no longer own that photo. Clay owns the photo. Yeah. It is sitting in my, it, it, it is the transaction occurred in the blockchain. So if someone questions, oh, Clay, do you really own that? Or did Carson really, was he really the first author of this picture or photographer? Well, yes, we can prove that because it will be in the blockchain ledger. And then exactly. I now have ownership of it. And you know, my brother could say, hey, dude, that photo is awesome. Would you be willing to sell it? Sure, I'll sell it for you know, 0.04 Ethereum. And then we Perfect. can have our own transaction. If Perfect. Yeah. And that, that is where something like a smart contract could enter in the conversation if you want to do that now. Perfect. So a smart contract is another central tenet of value of crypto. And a smart contract, the one, a great example is let's say, um, Carson, you want to come buy my house. And I'm like, okay. That's fine. I'm going to charge you, I'm making it up, uh, 200 Ethereum. We agree that that is going to happen. 
a smart contract would be written to say when Carson pays Clay 200 Ethereum, then Carson will receive ownership of the house. So there is today when that would happen, you and I would have to go through banks and lawyers, closing attorneys, all sorts of trusted third parties that have been set up over time to ensure that this transaction happens in the right way. With a cryptocurrency exchange through a smart contract, there are no third parties that are needed. Because again, we go back to the blockchain and the ledger. As long as this happens, this transaction occurs on the blockchain, and there's other nuances like the deed would have to be an NFT basically, and there's other things that would need to happen. But both parties can trust the decentralized ledger so you are extremely confident that when you send me 200 Ethereum, that you are then going to be the owner of the house. And the smart contract ensures that that transaction can be self-executed. It will be self-executed by the computer code when the contract terms are satisfied. Yeah. And there's a couple concepts in there that you, you mentioned with the, with the, um, with the home. And um, I guess like a, one of the one of the one of the common I think hesitancies with like an application like that is some, and it, and you just said it where there's some particular things that might caveats where the deed would have to be an NFT, right? So people are like, well, how do you make sure that that happens, or how do you trust that that happens? Where it's like, okay, I just asked the question, I'm like, okay, so how is a deed done today? It's done by pieces of paper and centralized governments, you know, proving that this is, quote, proving that this is the actual deed or, or acknowledging that this is where the deed or the, quote, ownership for this plot of land is held. And then you have to have, you know, someone like a notary, you have to pay a notary to say, I approve that this person signed this piece of paper because I'm a notary. And then you have things like, you know, an appraiser. You have to pay an appraiser to say, okay, well, I now can appraise the value of this home because I understand the history. I understand what has been done to the home. I understand the, you know, all the value of the homes around it. And I can appraise this for a certain amount of money. And then it's like, okay, but now you have to pay the appraiser. There's like all these different functions of, you know, value stores that are, you know, are, are centralized powers for certain components. So, so where that application is, well, it's like, okay, so if you just put it on an NFT and, and it's on a blockchain, it's like all this information is readily available. It's organized. It isn't like a complete de decentralization of like sh things are everywhere. It's like, no, it's, it's centralized in the sense of like all the information about that home is there. Past, past sales, past, um, you know, inspections, past improvements, um, you know, you can compare that to the other homes around the area that are NFTs and what has happened to them, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of a really good application of an NFT and some of the challenges that people might have with that. But if you actually just think about how it's done today, this option is significantly more streamlined. Yeah. Cause I mean, right now we just have to have a lot of trusted third parties to help. And yeah. in any sort of transaction, but as transactions get more, usually higher value, like a home or real estate or um, 
you know, sales of companies. I mean, all it's amazing the amount of money that's spent on just trusted third parties to validate that it's been do- done the right way, that we can trust that the transaction is going to occur the right way, that there's no liability. There's just so much that goes into it. And that's kind of the, that's what a lot of, I think that's what a lot of people like about the promise of this crypto universe is that eventually not only can the creator economy like artists and musicians and others have a better way of owning the stuff that they create and making money off of it um, and being paid for what they create, but there's all this stuff on the business side that can become more efficient and can be. Yeah, and this yeah, this is this is uh didn't mean to cut you off here. Oh, I did mean to cut you off, not in a rude way, but the the <laughs> um <laughs> so the that's an interesting point there where there's there's right, so there's there's two components there. The ability, the technology allows the ability to build this future that we want, right? And so the smart contract is something that's coded by someone. It is a it is a decision made. So as an artist, the the positive side where you have like a, a particular photographer where back to that example of like, I sell you a photo for 0.2 ETH and then you sell it to your brother for 0.4 ETH a year later. You see today a lot of artists, a lot of famous artists like Basquiat, right? So it's like those pieces weren't sold for anything until he died. And now the family, his family has no claim to any financial transaction of those pieces they're they're quote owned by someone else now most artists are frustrated by this because it is their piece and art art value does change over time and it's not the pro it that's not the problem uh the problem is that a lot of artists feel cheated out of that value because it is their work it is them right so but they they weren't appreciated at the time of original sale, right? So if I'm a photographer, I'm selling all my stuff for $5 right now on the street, but then let's say I become famous um, and then, you know, die. And it's like now those pieces that you bought for $5 are now worth like 10,000. So it's like, you know, although the, the, the contract that we sign today in a physical sense is like the contract is you give me $5 and I will give you this photograph and it is completely yours. That is the contract that I signed today if I'm selling my stuff on the street. And that's not like a bad thing. That's like a totally fine thing. It's just that later feeling of potential of like, if then you go and sell that for $10,000, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I guess I did make that contract of like, you only paid me five and now you made you know $9,995 from it. You know, I kind of feel cheated out of that a little bit because it is my photograph or I'm the creator of that photograph. I, it's not mine anymore. It's yours because we signed that that contract. That, that's a problem that a lot of our artists, artists, no matter how famous they are, have today is if that future state happens where it's sold for infinitely more, they feel cheated. Now, what you can do and this is not to say you have to. You can still do that clean transaction on Ethereum if you want. But what a lot of people are doing on Ethereum, because it's a smart contract and it's a platform that I can code and make decisions off of, is 
if I then sell you that photo for 0.2 ETH, I can have written in the contract that any future transaction of this particular NFT, this particular digital asset, I get 10% of. So if you sell that 0.2 ETH photograph for 0.4 ETH a year later, me as the original creator of this NFT, this smart contract, I get 0.04 ETH immediately back in my wallet. A trusted third party does not have to validate that because Correct. it is written it is written in the smart contract. In the smart contract, yeah. That is and it's an automatic. That it, yeah, it's executed by the computer code, by the blockchain. And 0.04 ETH will go to you in that transaction, you know, from, basically from my brother to you. And then it'll go at 0.36 ETH will go to me. Yes. Yes. And so then, and the, and the NFT ownership goes to my brother. So Correct. all, all three of those things occur automatically, automatically, no trusted third party needs to validate and appraise it or validate that the contract's legal or make sure the signature's right or the date's right or any of that. It just, it automatically happens. And then, you know, my brother could go sell it for one ETH two hours later if he found a buyer. Exactly. And the same and the same thing would happen. And in that case, you would get 0.1 ETH, he would get 0.9. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the decentralization of like processes and leveraging the technology to automate a lot of these things, removing third parties, removing, you know, streamlining and automating a lot of this. Now the reason why I said good and bad is like, okay, so there's a quote from uh, uh, Vitalik, the, the, the creator of Ethereum. This is an article, you can search it. You can just say Vitalik, Buterin worries about Ethereum. And this is kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know if we talked about this in the, in the last one, but this is, this is kind of like how I view infrastructure. So as a former civil engineer, I think about decision-making and investment that people make as a collective today for things that can be built on top of things um, in an in, in, in infrastructural way. And so the comparison that I make is like New York City versus LA. There is no derived good or evil in a, in a car or a road, but the infrastructural decisions, the way in which we build things, kind of like how you can build a smart contract, the way in which we build things and design them does have an impact on how people act and live in a world. So it's not a, a good or bad thing, I guess, the difference between New York City and LA in terms of their infrastructure, but it is a known fact that you cannot walk in LA for most of your life versus in New York City, you basically can only walk or take the subway um, just because it's, it's really impossible to move efficiently and quickly with a car in New York City versus in LA where it's incredibly vital that you own a car. So the reason why I say that is because the quote from Vitalik, I think it was last week, um, so in March 2022, is like, the quote is, if we don't exercise our voice, the only things that get built are the things that are immediately profitable. And those are often far from what's actually the best for the world. And so the reason why I say that is because the, the example that we gave of a smart contract in terms of how it can help an artist is really great because that has like, you know, thought behind it. And it's like really meant for that particular artist. 
And there's, I think that that would qualify as something good. Where I think that we have to be careful with saying like, oh, smart contracts are good, or NFTs are good, or I'm a big proponent for cryptocurrency, is in the fact of this explanation that Vitalik said, and what I think, and it's the infrastructural thing, is this isn't just like a, a you know, something that arised from, you know, into existence in a good way. It's like people make this. So it is flawed at a human experience. And this is, again, why the SEC says Bitcoin is a property, but Ethereum is a security because people influence it. So you have to be careful to say all cryptocurrency is inherently good and better than anything else that we have today. Because just like today, we have systems that are flawed and fallible and designed by people that are trying to take advantage of people. So that's why I say you can't just put a blanket over it and say all, all cryptocurrency, all NFT projects are good because they are designed by people. And so, you know, that, that could go in a, a, a lot of different ways, but I guess I'll just leave it there. Does that make sense why I differentiated, you know, I guess you know, good from bad? Not to say that, I guess that's, a, that's an opinion thing, but that's kind of how I explain leveraging of a smart contract just because something is a smart contract doesn't mean it will inherently benefit you sure and you could apply this logic to almost anything but with crypto there's a lot of people that are like hey crypto is awesome i'm all in everything about it's awesome if you say a negative thing about it you don't understand it and then there's people on the other side that are saying I don't understand crypto or I think it's bad. It's like these two big camps. And I think what you're getting at is that crypto is such, I mean, we've been talking for over an hour about just the basics of crypto and how much there is to this space. And so to have a blanket, hey, crypto is amazing. Crypto is perfect. Crypto needs to take over everything is probably a bit short-sighted, just like on the other side of Hey, crypto is terrible. Crypto is you know only for you know people that are trying to do bad things, or it's trying to unseat government, or all these things. It's like, well, it's probably not all that either, right? And then the and it same goes for all the concepts within crypto, like you were saying, hey, dis- decentralization or smart contracts or currency, just. It's such a big thing. All of these things are so big and they have so many subcomponents. Mm-hmm. And to just have a blanket statement that, yes, everything needs to be decentralized or everything needs to be a smart contract or smart contracts are perfect, not really the case, especially yeah. because we are still within our infancy in this space. Yeah. I mean, the internet yeah. came out, what, in like mid 90s? And so we're, you know, about 20, 20, 25 years into the internet and look at, how much it's changed. It's changed and it's still evolving. Oh, and it's still evolving. Exactly. And so while Bitcoin was, you know, released in, uh, I think the ledger was released in 2009, it really didn't become mainstream or start to be talked about on the mainstream front until probably 2014, 2015. And it really hasn't taken off until 2018 or so. We're at the very early stages. So if you can just reach back, if you were alive in 1997, 1998, when you had that, you know, the dial up AOL 
Roadrunner internet, whatever you had, and if you were even lucky to have it, yeah, to now, and just how much it's evolved, that's what's going to happen in crypto. Right. I'll just say one more thing because I had this written down. It was really, I, I found it to be great. And so this is also kind of talking about the organization aspect of decentralization, the human aspect, because I was talking about human, um, you know, components of, you know, leveraging the technology. So uh, a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization. This is something that's a huge aspect of crypto because a lot of it is those, similar to how we said, a smart contract automates a lot of these decisions or a lot of these components of a transaction, uh, you know, streamlining it. A DAO also does that from an, a human organizational standpoint where it's like, I'm sure everyone has like, you know, inefficiencies within their company and or their organization. Um, and it's like, wow, I just wish we could automate some of this or this is this seems redundant or this seems silly. It's like a DAO not only can help do that, but also decentralize, uh, you know, the decision makers where, you know, it's not to say that there aren't decision makers. It's to say that there's not like a CEO, right? And, and it's not like a, you know, a pyramid decision of power. It's like, you know, it's more horizontal, if you will. And you can have a horizontal organization, but it's just, you know, a DAO is much, maybe much more easier to actually execute. Um, Something uh, that uh, Alexis, the, the co-founder of Reddit, said that I had written down. It was a great uh, episode of Bankless, so check that out. What he was saying, they were talking about DAOs, and, they, and then he chimed in and was saying, you know, you, ha you can have DAOs that make, like, you know, ordering and delivering pizzas in your town automatic and decentralized, where the, the community is making all of those decisions. And that, that can work because it's much more simple. And then that's on one extreme. But on the flip side is like, you probably can't have a DAO that competes against SpaceX that are launching rockets to go to the moon or Mars because there's so much technology, there's so much in there, that, right? So it's like, that's the balance of like, you know, objective to necessity of centralization of information, knowledge, power, decision-making, authority, um, you know, right? Like who is to blame if something goes wrong, right? So there's, it's like a spectrum of, okay, what is the actual purpose of this organization? What aspects of it can and should be decentralized? Does it make sense to have, you know, a government body issuing 5 trillion new US dollars when that's your retirement? Probably not. So maybe we can decentralize that decision making, but maybe other decision makings like a judge and a jury of a, of a court case, like maybe that should be more centralized, right? So it's like, it's a spectrum of decentralization that people just have to be aware of. Um, and again, that is, in my opinion, the biggest misunderstanding, maybe not misunderstanding, but not acknowledging the difference between something like a Bitcoin and an Ethereum. Makes sense. All right. So there's so many more things to get into, and I know we're running a little bit low on time. So Let's do this if you're okay with it. Let's yep. talk, let's highlight DeFi, so decentralized finance. We haven't really talked about that. I think that's a really interesting component that we could probably spend two hours on, but let's kind of highlight and define that. And then I think for the listeners, there's probably going to be a lot of questions and probably some desire to do some own self-research. So I'll link to some of the articles and 
uh, podcast that you mentioned, but definitely want to get your view on, you know, any other assets that you feel like you want to point the listener to. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure we'll have a part three or part four uh, going on here. So DeFi, Carson, how do you, how would you explain decentralized finance within the crypto world? DeFi is a little bit complicated. I'm not, I don't, I don't know as much about DeFi as maybe some of the other aspects of it, but I would say maybe the way I think about it is I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, how, how does financing uh, typically happen today where like, I want to take a loan out from a bank or I want to get a mortgage on my house or I want early investors in my company. So I go to a, a VC firm uh, to borrow or lend or insure you go to a centralized. Uh, you go entity. to a centralized place. Yep. DeFi or decentralized finance is basically all these companies building these platforms of decentralized financing capabilities where instead of me going to a centralized bank, I can say I'm looking for you know funding for a particular asset or I'm trying to insure you know, this particular thing and I'm willing to pay whatever percentage, uh, you know, year over year returns back to you for that particular asset over, you know, 10 years, right? So it's basically just peer to peer. And, and that's the simple way to put it, I think. And and like a, an example of like a way in which it's done to today or before quote DeFi is like, you could think of it as um, what is the, what is the Kickstarter? Kickstarter is like a very common platform or website that people are aware of, right? Where like Kickstarter is kind of DeFi, but like without the the DeFi technology where it's like, hey, like here's a cool commercial of our our video or of our product. We need $50,000 to make sure that we can get this started. Like, you know, donate via credit card. And in return, we will promise to ship you you know, early release of the first batch, right? So that's that's basically how, you know, you can think of a DeFi example today, but it's like not using the DeFi technology, not blockchain technology, where you kind of have the third parties, you know, like, we were, like we've been saying, it's like, it's not necessarily automated. Uh, you're still using credit cards versus, you know, a, a crypto wallet it's not all automated and maybe it's not necessarily a a monetary thing, but it is a contract and it is a promise. And it's like, Hey, if we get 50 people to invest a thousand bucks, we can go for this. DeFi, it would be much more like, you know, we, we need the $50,000 still, but as we get revenue, it'll go automatically into your back into your wallet with like 10% interest. Something like that. I'd say maybe is a good way to think about it. It's really another piece of the umbrella under crypto that's centered around the traditional banking offerings. So like lending, interest accounts, mortgages, loans, all of that stuff, but doing so leveraging this crypto technology we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of focus in this area. There's, I think that there's, there's there's a ton of focus. There's a lot of investment being made. There's a lot of being of investment being made in these centralized entities, right? That are that are huge names within uh, finance, yeah. Within especially in the Americas, and so there's just a lot 
going on in this space. And so I'm, again, I'm like you, I'm not going to pretend to be a full expert on this, but it is a really, if you're into, you know, finance and lending and understanding how this technology could be an impact. I mean, I'm sure you and I will talk about this in the, in a future episode, but it's super, super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's uh, like, again, it's like the same, it's, it's the same as everything else where it's like, it's kind of like an adaptation of what we have today, but kind of like evolving it, leveraging this new technology. Um, it, it's kind of an evolution. And so, so what's actually interesting is I was actually at a, a, an event last week here in New York. Um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was a VC. And, um, and he was talking about kind of the age of the internet. Um, you know, when they were making investments in like 2003, 2004, 2005 in, in companies, right? So there's, there is a difference between how technology can be an adaptation of what society is today versus creating new experiences or new processes or new systems leveraging the technology. So there is a difference. Um, and that's kind of like, if you're looking for cutting edge, if you're looking for what the world is going to be like in 10 to 15 years, you know, thinking about companies or finding companies that are thinking differently, completely differently about, you know, how the world can function, um, with, with the technology versus companies that are looking to be adaptations of how the world is today, um, and creating efficiencies within that. So that's just actually something, I don't know if that has to do with this, but that's just what popped in my brain. Yeah. And I'll give you one other thing that's popped into my brain that has always stuck with me because there's a lot, I remember having this argument with my dad and with my uncle and with others about, you know, the value of cryptocurrency and how, you know, how could it be valuable? And I go back to, um, Yuval wrote a book called Sapiens, really, really good book. It's a bestseller talking about basically the history of homo sapiens, history of humankind. And there's a whole section in there about currency. And I find it so interesting that if you really boil down currency, it is the unified belief that something has value. So if Carson, if you and I were the only ones that believe that the US dollar had value, then it would not have value because that's only two people in a sea of 400 million. But if 400 million plus many, 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 many others across the world believe that this currency has value, then it has value. And that's what I point back to with cryptocurrency. The more people, the more institutions that believe that there is value, that there's this unified belief that this technology, that a specific coin within this technology has value, then it's going to have value. That's just how currency works. One of the first forms of currency was, uh, I think they were shells and like literally, so the size of the shell was, you know, the bigger the shell and the more uh, unified the shell was, the, the more it held value. And that's mm -hmm. how people, they traded that. And there was just a unified belief amongst that group of people that, hey, these shells have value. I mean, inherently, they don't really have any value. Right. But if a hundred people or a thousand people believe it in this community, then you can use it to have a store of value. And it's, I know it's an oversimplified way of looking at it, but if you think about currency in that way, you can see why 
you know, Bitcoin is worth $47,000 or Ethereum is worth $3,400 because mm-hmm. at its core, there's all these things that we talked about, but at its core, there's a unified belief by a growing number of people that this stuff has value. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying it's gotten to the point where there's enough, because people sometimes worry about like, you know, regulation with Bitcoin or this and that. And it's like, well, it's gotten to the point of no return in the sense of there's enough people and enough money in, in, in monetary value that we've transferred into this cryptocurrency that it's not going to go anywhere. So that's, that's also, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're skeptic or worried about the longevity, I think it's being more skeptic in the, of how it will evolve over time versus will it be here? I think that's kind of like a common thread that I hear where it's kind of past the point of no return. We're going to be crypto is going to be here to stay in some form or fashion. And it doesn't mean that it's going to take away or, you know, completely remove current stores of value today, but it does mean that it it will be here for forever. Carson, the time has been awesome. Could you point the listeners to any, any other things that you would want to point the listeners to? Yes. Um, I've said Bankless a couple times. I'm not sponsored by Bankless. I just listen to them a lot. Um, so that's a podcast. Um, another one that I've started to listen to is called Relay Chain. So those are both two crypto NFT podcasts. But you could probably just Google top NFT crypto podcasts and, and find some good ones. Um, there is something that I'm going to try to find here. So I'm going to just do a little uh, you know, filler time as I search for this. There's a, um, there's a blog that I've, um, was shared. It's on decentralized.co, and it's called The Reading List. It's basically like, who is Joel John uh, wrote it in 2021 and updates it pretty much monthly or weekly. But basically what it is um, is a... Um, a list of um, articles across all these topics, right? So from things like, you know, regulations, NFTs, DeFi, crypto asset valuation, Bitcoin strategy, uh, macroeconomics of all of this. There's basically like, you know, five to 30 articles on this page that is really great. And you hey, type, Carson, I'll link it in the pod. Yeah, link it up. Yeah, perfect. Yep. There you go. That's all. That's a really good space. I've read pretty much everything on there. Um, it's like a hundred articles, and it's across all of these concepts. So that's a great. That's a great spot to get started. That's perfect, Carson. Anything you want to leave with? Anything you want to say? Link to? I'm as I'm like. Mind? So I I. <laughs> I'm realizing that the first conversation was much more fun. We were telling stories and I realized like towards the end of this, I'm not very, I'm not as animated in this one because I'm like thinking through how is best to explain this. So I'd say that's, that's kind of the thing about it is it's an evolving space. Definitions and understanding is the, one of the biggest challenges. That's what I said to start this, right? The definitions is the biggest challenge thus far. And that's what you'll hear if, if you listen to these podcasts, if you go talk to the experts, it's like people's understanding of these technical concepts is the most challenging. And that's why I've like realized like, oh, wow, I was not very animated here because I'm like actually thinking through as much as possible. Um, but the thing about that is 
it's going to get better. It's going to get easier, right? So it's like as the user experience becomes in a way where you don't actually have to think about some of these concepts, it's just going to happen. You're just going to post a picture to your whatever platform and then you're going to get 30 bucks back because Clay liked it and purchased it. Now it's his. And then you get another $5 next month when his brother buys it for double that. You know, all these things are just going to become a lot easier. And you don't necessarily have to understand if you don't want to what all these terms and technical aspects of it really are. You kind of just then understand the end result of what it's doing. And that's kind of where I was talking to earlier of just because the technology exists doesn't make it inherently good or beneficial to people. Those are the things that your common person will understand. Like, does this help me or does this hurt me? I don't necessarily need to know how it works, but do I like this or do I not like this? And that's where I'm excited for all of this to go because as things get less clunky, as things get better user experiences, you know, we will stop living in the, you know, uh, what's the way to say this? We will stop predicting. We will start like leveraging and using. It's no longer going to be like, oh, this could be the future. It's like this, these are the aspects that we like the most out of this. Thus, we are, these are the, this is the future. If that makes sense, right? So I think it's going to be right now, it's just kind of like everything is from, from startups to like Facebook meta, who's pouring a bunch of money into this. At the moment, there are no clear winners of how the future is going to be shaped. NFTs and, and, sell, and artists is an early front runner for applications of it, but you see kind of things within that that are good and bad because it's how people feel at the end of the day and how they experience it. And so, you know, as the technology gets to the point where it's working together towards a, you know, end user experience and how it actually impacts people, that's where I think we'll start to have a more clear definition of how this will actually be leveraged in our lives 10 years from now. Carson, I think it's a perfect way to tie everything up. So thanks for the time. Thanks for doing your best to work through these, these definitions. It's not easy, as you said, and uh, just appreciate having an hour and a half conversation with you on crypto. We could have done it a lot longer, <laughs> but looking forward to the next one, man. I appreciate the time. Oh, you bet. You bet, man. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build with Clay on Instagram at Build with Clay. And head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.